It's our willingness to just keep coming back to the same table and welcoming those emotions to be there with you. And so I'm curious, I'm going to learn more about you. Why? So that I can get to know you and care for you. And isn't that the best relationship that we can have with each other? I'm curious about you. I want to be your friend. I want to get to know you so that I can tend to our relationship. And we can do that for ourselves as well. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. We have a wonderful guest with us today. Chris Carr is here. Before I introduce her, I wanted to let you know I'm actually doing a giveaway for my next retreat in November. It's going to be at my house in Los Angeles, and we're doing a giveaway for 50% off for one person to come to this really beautiful experience. If you want to join in on that giveaway, you can go to kathyheller.com slash giveaway, and you can find out all the details on that. Today, you're in for such a treat because the incredible Chris Carr is here. She's a New York Times bestselling author, wellness activist, and leader. She's also a stage four cancer survivor and thriver for over 20 years. You might know her from her documentary, Crazy Sexy Cancer, or her award-winning blog, or one of her many uber-successful books, which led to her being on Super Soul Sunday and The Oprah Winfrey Show. And this month, she released another beautiful book called I'm Not a Morning Person, Braving Loss, Grief, and the Big Messy Emotions That Happen When Life Falls Apart. It's a transformational book about love, loss, and all the life-changing insights we receive when we embrace them. And she shares real-life experiences, practices, tips, and strategies to move forward from unexpected transitions and start living again. This will resonate so much with your soul, no matter what kind of minor or major change you're dealing with. It's just so important to have these tools in your pocket. And do yourself a favor, go get her book. I've been a fan of hers for a while, and it's such an honor to finally have her here. She's all the things. She's very smart. She's very adorable. She's beautiful. She's humble. She's so courageous. And not because of what she's been through, but because of her willingness to be so honest and so vulnerable about the human journey that she still faces every single day. If you're not already a fan of hers, I know that you're going to be one once you hear her words here today. So without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Chris Carr. Chris, I'm so happy to meet you. I'm so happy that you're finally here. Thanks for coming on. Same, Kathy. It's long time coming. We have been in each other's orbits. We're supposed to be in each other's orbits. So here we are. We've landed. We've landed. (laughs) Yes. I'm so happy that you're here. And the book that you most recently wrote, it's an incredible gift to the world. And I want to fully dive into it. But for anyone who doesn't know the context or the journey you've been on, I want to just touch on that because it's pretty significant. What would you say was sort of like the biggest aha that led you to know like this is your work, writing these kinds of books, having these kinds of conversations? What happened in your life that led you to be like, okay, this is it. This is my message. This is what my work is going to be. Yeah. I mean, it was a surprise because I was in a very different career. I also came from the entertainment business industry. I've been performing since I was a kid. I got my first agent at 19, you know, singing, dancing, acting, teaching, acting at NYU. Like I had a photography business for a period of time um, where I was actually taking actress headshots. So I've always been in the arts. I've always been a creative, but I've always been telling other people's stories. And 
around the time I was about to turn 30, I had the itch. I decided, you know, I'm sort of sick of auditioning. I'm sick of somebody else telling me whether or not I can do what I want to do. And that's when I started to move more behind the scenes with my photography and filmmaking and whatnot. And then I was diagnosed with stage four incurable cancer. Oh my God. So that was the first rupture. That was the moment when everything changed. It was like the needle off the record. And I said, I want to change how I'm living. And I took everybody on that journey with me. You were 30 when that happened? I was 31 and it happened on Valentine's Day in 2003. And, you know, the first doctor suggested a triple organ transplant. Second one gave me 10 years. And I realized that illness is a business and I had to become the CEO of my health and well-being and hire and fire and find my second in command and find somebody who knew the most about my disease, but also had a good bedside manner and and figure out how to take care of myself because it wasn't something and isn't something that you can just have treatment and hope that it goes away and you're in remission. And that was really the inciting incident that put me on this health and wellness journey 20 years later. Oh my God. I mean, I knew some of those big headlines because I've been following you, but I didn't ever have this moment where you're like, you you told me this story and I'm just like hearing it. And there's so much that I feel, right? Like on one hand, I'm like looking at you in this moment, thriving, going, wow, that was like this sort of through the looking glass moment that led you to this superhero cape that you wear. But that's only because I have the convenience of looking at it now in the past. (laughs) And then at the same time, I'm going, what an actual living nightmare that you had to (laughs) show up in a doctor's appointment on Valentine's Day and be told that. And the fact that you were able to keep breathing in and out and living through that is insane. I don't even know how you like got through one day, especially the way you were able to find such a dominion over life in that the way you just described how you approached it made it so singular in, in at least the ways anyone's ever told me that story. And I don't even get it. It's like a, it's, it's like a Herculean task. It's someone telling me that they did something impossible and then they went to the grocery store. I'm like, it's impossible, (laughs) but you made it possible. So what kind of cancer was that, that you all of a sudden found out you had stage four cancer? That's so the epitome of terrifying. So I still live with cancer. So cancer, I it's part of my life. I've been living with it for 20 years now. And so I have a very rare sarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer. And what I have affects very few people in the sarcoma world, but sarcomas themselves are rare. And so it was really about learning about this disease that I have. And the thing about it is, is it can be slow growing and it can be aggressive and it can change at any time. So once I understood that and found a doctor that I realized I could work with over time, we decided not to do anything not to do experimental treatments, not to do anything that could not really do anything, maybe give me more time, whatever it is, because we decided we needed to establish a baseline and just track me. 
you know, I remember him saying, let's watch and wait and let cancer make the first move. And you go off in, while we're doing that and you watch and live. And that was the invitation that put me on this quest. Like, well, well what does that really mean? <laughs> what does that look like? Wow. I just like welled up with tears because, I mean, it's so obvious why. It's amazing your capacity that you could be with that. What a upside down invitation that is. Like, let's let that make the first move and let's just sit with that. Like, there is such a reactive way. We are all wired most of the time to anything, let alone learning to sit with that. Like, that that was the invitation. And then you said, that you'd RSVP yes to that invitation is <laughs> hard to, it's hard to not cry to think about that courageous capacity. And then what happens as a result, at least in your story here, is that you learned how to be with, you learned literally how to be, how to exist, how to live with it. And so I'm sure that everyone listening wants to know, so what and how have you done that? Well, it took me 10 years before I actually really learned how to live with it. And at this point, I'm already on Oprah multiple times and written best-selling books and done a lot. But it wasn't an overnight experience and it is literally an ongoing practice. And so I think when I got that invitation, I love that you called it that. I immediately went into overdrive and I went into, well, if you don't know how to fix it, I'll do it because that's the place that I go when I feel scared. I go into drive, problem yeah. solve, control, you know, double down, get out of my way and I'll solve this. And there was a lot of good that came from that because I learned about a healthy anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle. I started to read about it, research it, study my ass off, write about it, wrote many books, shared what I was learning, all really beautiful things. I started to feel better, even though I live with stage four cancer because I'm practicing what I'm learning and teaching. But if I'm to be very honest, there was a underlying fear and frustration. And I was determined to cure myself because I thought that in some ways my life was on hold until I crossed the finish line, until somebody told me that I was in remission. So I said, I'm going to cure myself. And when that didn't happen, I felt like a big fat failure, even though I was at the height of external success. And it was my 10-year scan and everybody is thrilled because at this point I've outlived the odds and my disease is still stable and everyone's thrilled but me because the medical report didn't say what I wanted to say to prove that I was successful. And I thought, you know what? This is no way to live because what if I live with this disease and well into my 90s and it's stable, but I missed my entire life because I was trying to cure myself. And instead of trying to really live my life. And that was the day I remember driving home and I said to my husband, I quit. And he said, what are you talking about? You're going to quit taking care of yourself. He was so scared. 
because he was so used to my drive, right? And I think people thought that my drive was part of why I was alive. And then I said, I quit not like I quit having these high expectations of myself and I quit not living. I quit saying yes to life so I could be cured of cancer as opposed to yes to life for me. And that changed. That was the moment that you talked about. Like, how did you do this? That was a moment where I started to practice in a very different way. Oh, so extraordinary. I'm so grateful that you are so generous and vulnerable all the time that you're willing to go into that part of the story because that really Mm -hmm. is so, that is your Indiana Jones moment. That is your bravest, (laughs) that is your bravest moment. You know, it's amazing how we carry a perception and all life is, is empty space and perception. You know what I mean? It's like we're making meaning of everything and, and it's amazing how we could carry that perception and not realize how heavy that was. And then at the same time, it's amazing how you can redefine something. And I'm sitting here holding all of this with you and thinking, this is also so exquisite and extraordinary that what you've now created as a possibility in the field of all potential is for people to go, you can change your perception to be, I can thrive with this. And maybe, just maybe, because of all the toxins in the way that we live, not just in the pesticides, but in the cortisol that we drip because we're all so stressed, like in all the ways we now live as humans, maybe, just maybe, this is such a giant bat signal for the world because there will be people who need to let go of that one perception to change it to here's how I live with this. I mean, similar to how Magic Johnson is an example to people in the community of HIV, like, listen, like Cookie, I think his wife's name is Cookie, like Cookie and I go on this cruise with George Clooney every summer. Like we just live, you know what I mean? Like that is huge in that he represents a way to live with such a very scary, very debilitating, you know, prognosis. And like, he lives his life, right? Would that that change things for a lot of people? A lot of people saw, hang on a minute. Okay, so if I, God forbid, I'm ever in that situation, I now have a different understanding that I can hold on to. I mean, it's huge. I don't know anybody else. I, I like don't know anyone else who has your ease, composure, humor, uh, courage, and perspective to say, so here's what we did. We got busy thriving with, living with, setting down who we tell ourselves we are if we don't accomplish it a certain way. And we just say, it's all welcome at the table. Like, it's amazing. It's literally like asking someone to do cartwheels on the moon. I mean, it's very, (laughs) it's very big. And everyone who's listening, we need to be equipped with this no matter what is on our table, right? As opposed to, unless I help my kid overcome this, unless I do this, unless I do this, it's like, there can be a lot of good evidence why you would say, no, no, this obviously is the thing that unless I can do this, I'm failing here, right? We have so many big things that come up in our lives. And the fact that you can be honest in that way 
And now it's been another 10 years since then, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Because that would have been 2013. So what has the last 10 years felt like? Well, first of all, thank you for all of that. I really love your perspective and I receive all of your beauty. That's the least, it's the least someone can do for you. (laughs) But good. I'm glad you can feel that a little bit. I do. And you know, I think you're right. I think it's medicine we all need and it's, it's a practice that I continue to be on. Right. And one of the things that I, I love to share, especially with patients is this idea that Health isn't the absence of disease. It's the presence of vitality. Mm. And so when we look at our lives, when we look at the areas of our lives where we don't feel vitality, we may put our attention on those areas and water that space as opposed to saying, I have to hit some sort of standard, which I encourage us all to sort of push back against because I think we live in a very black and white world. Even if you think about some of the language that we use with cancer patients specifically, you're either winning your battle or you're losing your battle. You're right. This is a really important conversation. And I I now recognize how often we hear those words. That's very destructive in this way. I get that. And, And we also, but this permeates so many areas of our lives. It's easier to see it when I use the sort of the terrain of cancer, right? But we can see each and every one of us how we're held back by these beliefs in our lives. And so I, I encourage us all to sort of push against them. Yep. You know, there's a chapter in my book where I talk about the both and it's living in the magnificent gray. It's like, I can be successful and I can be unsuccessful. I can have stage four cancer and 24 tumors in my body and I can be healthy. I can be a life loving human and I can struggle with depression. All those things are true. And the beautiful way that you said it, making space at your table for That's it. Right. That's right. That's the practice. And so these last 10 years, you know, I, I often talk about how in my first 10 years of my career, I was really helping people address what they're eating because that's where I started. I started with what can I control? I can control what I put in my mouth. Let's just start there because I was desperate for some kind of control and I wanted to part- yeah, participate, you know. But then around that 10-year mark, it was really like, okay, now I got to really focus on what's eating me. What's in my way? What's holding me back from really embodying this philosophy that I'm talking about? And that's when I really dove deep into my own meditation practice, even though I had been meditating pretty consistently, but like dove deep into healing, dove deep into therapy, dove deep into really kind of confronting some of the areas in my own psyche that I was hell-bent on avoiding. And it's through that process that this book came. But it happened when I was ready, not because I was forcing it. I don't even get it. Like, I know that we're having a conversation, but <laughs> you are like a living miracle. <laughs> not not just because you're living, that that feels like a miracle. But the way you're living feels like a miracle. Like, I'm like, the capacity, I used that word before, like the you have to like just expand in this place. It feels, feels like, a, like we're watching the sea split. You know, it's like such a miracle. And I talk about all the time how when I went to my first meditation retreat in 2007, I, I thought I was going to die. That's how anxious I was. I was like, how does anyone like this? This is like the worst feeling of all time. I, I'm dying. And then I came to love it. There's so much to say about that. But 
there's a word I learned in my mindfulness practice all these years, which is a big practice because I'm highly anxious. So like my mindfulness practice is I practice it. But this experience of equanimity mm. is so foreign to our culture, which is letting it all have a seat at the table. Like that is John Kabat-Zinn. Like that is the definition of mindfulness is not bliss. It's not being happy all the time. Nope, 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 nope. It's being a witness to what is without this activation, constant judgment, constant need to fix it, to change it. It's like, gosh, we need that in our our world. And I love that you, you are a living example of that. You are mm. walking Wi-Fi signal of that. And that is huge. It's so big. I can't say it enough. Like, when do we have conversations about equanimity being the goal rather than achievement, more of this, more followers, more likes, more appearances on Oprah? It's like, whoever said that that ladder leads anywhere other than a bigger ladder, right? <laughs> so I love that you have made your whole life about being in the gray and leading people into that. I mean, what a thing, right? I mean, here you were thinking, I want to be an actor. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, God, got it. Like, <laughs> this is my assignment. This is interesting, you know? Yeah. What a big one. Like, I've done 800 and something episodes. This is very, very unique. Like, most of the mm -hmm. time people say some version of what other people say, and it's still good because we need to hear it. But this is like, this is all you. And it's pretty amazing. Thank you. I want to share that you know, I believe that each and every one of us, we have this opportunity to wake up and go back to sleep. But both of those things will happen, right? So we wake up, we have an aha, we might have a wake-up call, we might have a warning sign, we may have a, an epiphany on the mat. We will wake up, but we will also go back to sleep. And that is normal and human. And so if we go back to this idea of living in the gray, what we do is we don't judge when we go back to sleep. We just maybe each time we wake up and go back to sleep, we may shorten the distance. We may say, oh, right, I have tools for that. Oh, look at me, I'm asleep. As opposed to saying, look at me, I failed. Look at me, I'm not a spiritual person. Look at me, I, I just can't do this. I'm just going to judge myself to death. And so the only reason why maybe you feel like I embody this is because I spend a lot of time noticing the waking up and going back to sleep and I play in that space of getting curious about my pain and I too deal with a lot of anxiety and depression and I don't live in bliss in any way, shape or form. I'm just curious about the human condition that I live in every single day. And I feel like that can be a spark for people to stay on the path. 100% true. Mm -hmm. Because there's this constant judgment like, I went, I went unconscious for four more weeks. I didn't, I got distracted from who I want to be. It's like just naming that out loud. You're right. It's so good. Just like this is the human experience. This is what's happening. You know, whether you watch everything on the blue zones, take all the notes, like you're not going to get it all. Like it's not happening, but then setting yourself up for that, then you're right. It's a spark because then you say, okay, if I can get 1%, more awake. That's huge. I mean, giant. I mean, that's what it's been for me. Being on this meditation mindfulness journey since 
the early 2000s. It's like 1% differences and they're big. That's also exciting, I feel like. It's like knowing that that little change, if you were on a boat and you change one degree, you wind up in a different continent. So it's like, it's cool. So let's talk about what else is cool, which is your newest book. You know, it's such a great title. I'm not a morning person. Braving loss, grief, and the big messy emotions that happen when life falls apart. So let's dive in a little bit because there were so many other things that you've said before this book. So what was left unsaid? Like, why were you like, no, no, there's a whole other book. It's not just a blog post. It's a whole other book. What was like the real like divine download around reading this book? The divine, thank you. I remember when I shared it with my editor and she said, that's either the stupidest book I've like title I've ever heard or it's brilliant. brilliant. I'm not sure which one. And I was just like, I like that. (laughs) I called it that honestly, because I, at the time really felt like I'm not a morning person. This is the one place I don't want to go. So even though I'm on this path and we're talking about these ideas and how I try to live my life, I was really stuck around grief and some of the emotions that were coming up with it. And so cut to, I'm approaching my 20-year anniversary of living with stage four cancer. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. My dad, who is my chosen father, I didn't know my biological father till much later in life, is dying. Mm. My business is struggling because I'm actively pulling back the commitments. And I've found myself in a place where If mama's not hustling, we ain't doing what we need to be doing. And so it was like this perfect storm. So much. That's so much. Yeah. And when I'm not fully conscious, what I will do is work harder. I'll double down. I'll hustle. I'll try to control. I become hypervigilant. And all of these these things come for me. And so I'm running faster. And I decided at one point, I can't outrun this. You know, it's like, outrunning the ocean or trying to hold back the ocean and the waves stack up, stack up, stack up. And even if you think you're powerful, you are not more powerful than the ocean. And I was like, the way out is through. I know that that's cliche and it's every spiritual teacher says it, but I was like, this is really true. So I have to stop and decide how I'm going to approach this time because I wanted to be present for my dad and I wanted to show up in a way where as he's actively dying, We are living more and strengthening our connection. And so I immediately went back to therapy. That's, you know, the place I started. I've been in therapy on and off for 30 years. And at some point you think, don't I know this shit? Tell me about it. Oh my God. Singing my song. Keep going. (laughs) I go back to therapy. I start, you know, deeply creating supportive, you know, experiences for myself so that I can show up more. And thaw into this idea of what would it look like if I actually allowed myself to grieve? Even grieving while he's still living, this anticipatory grief that I was feeling that I was so distraught over and felt so guilty for even feeling. I'd be sitting having a conversation with him and I'm deep in grief, just imagining him not there when he's right in front of my eyes. Of course. And I'm thinking, I'm feeling guilty. Like, am I going to manifest an early demise? Like all of our where our brain goes. So I started to do a lot of work around grief and trauma as this is unfolding. And I will tell you that I felt moments of the break in the fever, 
the moment where the medicine kicks in, the moment where I felt relief. And I thought to myself, if I'm feeling a little bit better, allowing myself to move through this place of grief and trauma, where else in my life am I holding back that possibility? Hmm. And are some of the areas in my life that aren't working, you know, because when the rug gets pulled out from under us, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Sometimes there's a domino effect. Like the things that aren't working and haven't been working for quite some time, maybe because you've outgrown them, they all start to fall apart too. So where else in my life am I blocking my potential because I am afraid to let go of old paradigms that were designed to keep me safe, but are no longer safe and maybe never were? Yeah, I totally uh, hear it and uh, have my own journey, I, I can definitely relate. And I love when you said like the break in the fever. And I was thinking as you were talking about uh, a crisis we went through a few years ago, and I was reading uh, Janine Roth's book, Women, Food, and God. And I loved this uh, whole way in this book where similarly, she's saying like, lean into what feels like the monster you know, inside, because underneath that, there's a deep integration with what is. And then there's this, this feeling of satisfaction that comes from just being with it, like not resisting it. And that's underneath it. And then there's this feeling of a break in the fever. And so I would read the book at that time and go outside and give myself like 20 minutes in the morning to just be like crying. And it was like, oh, I've just been holding all this poison and just running from it, running from it, working harder, putting more accomplishment on top of it, whatever it is. I think yeah. a lot of people do that because it it feels like the smart thing to do to not feel your feelings. And then you go, wait a minute, this is like suffocating me. And so I love this book um, that you wrote and you're the perfect person to write the book. And these are things that give us life mm -hmm. by allowing us to lean into, ah, uh, it's sort of like a soap bubble. It's like you touch it and then it disappears. And it's not that it disappears, but the intensity, the ring around it that feels so triggering, that part softens up. And that's the part that hurts. Yeah. Because grief itself is love, mm. right? Grief itself is there's something about that that's actually about our deep connection to something. And in and of itself, there's something beautiful in that feeling of connection to something. It's the, the resisting of it that creates such a edge that we don't know how to hold it. It's too sharp. So I love that you wrote this book. What are you hoping that people will learn as a practice? What are you hoping people will walk away with after they read it? The practice is first and foremost, realizing that you're not alone, truly. I think we're going through an epidemic of loneliness right now. And when I think of my most lonely times in my life, it's those times where I feel so disconnected from myself and other people. But first and foremost, I feel disconnected from myself. It's hard for me to connect to others when I don't know how to connect to myself. I'm going through a drought of connection with self. 
And so some of the practices in the book, and yes, they are around the difficult times because we're all going to go through them. And those difficult times tend to be the ripest times for personal development, right? Because you're down on your knees, you're at your lowest level. And maybe you say, well, there's only one place to go. It's up. So I might as well dig in, you know, so there is fruit in that darkness. But first and foremost, starting to say, how do I get to know myself so that I can tend to myself? How do I get to know myself so I can be respectful of myself? How do I get to know myself so that I can honor myself? And I think we make it really complicated. Like we got to go to the feet of a guru and we have to scale the highest mountain and all these things. And what I have found is it can start with a simple conversation starter, which you can do in your journal. And it's as simple as saying, how am I feeling today? How am I feeling? Because if we don't know how we're feeling, we may have, we may be like, we know there's a disturbance in the force, but we, uh, we're just unsettled. We don't know what it is, but we're not happy. So when we start to unpack, well, how am I feeling? What are those feelings? And then we can say, okay, instead of judging them, can I become more curious about them? If we imagine that our emotions are information, can we learn more about the information that our emotions are there to teach us as opposed to trying to amputate certain ones that we deem unbecoming? Right. Like for me, for a long time, my, my go-to would be rage. If I wanted to feel sadness, I wouldn't feel the sadness because sadness was too frightening. So this big protector energy would come up and that is anger. And I judged myself because of the anger instead of saying anger is here to teach me. Anger is basically ow. Your psyche saying, ow, this hurts. This is not cool. There's something wrong here and I'm going to fucking protect you. And then if it's protecting you, what's it protecting you from? What's underneath it? And so for me, the practice has become, as you so beautifully said earlier, naming it, calling it out. This is what I'm feeling. It's anxiety. Okay, let me learn more about anxiety. Anxiety is a rumination. It's a fear of the future. It's a fear of what may or may not happen in the future. Okay, so if I'm learning more about that, what are the things that I can do that help me tend to my anxiety? So it's very simple. We could call it that three-step process. It's our willingness to just keep coming back to the same table and welcoming those emotions to be there with you. And so I'm curious. I'm going to learn more about you. Why? So that I can get to know you and care for you. And isn't that the best relationship that we can have with each other? I'm curious about you. I want to be your friend. I want to get to know you so that I can tend to our relationship. And we can do that for ourselves as well. I love that you, you know, just started the whole thing with this feeling like you are not connected with yourself, you know. And when you think about how often we are looking to feel good and we're externalizing that, you know, if my spouse is different, I'll feel better. If my business changes and then it's like wow i've been abandoning myself how on earth can anything outside of me fill up this part of me that's abandoning myself it's so simple but we are just not wired and taught and that hasn't been modeled enough right and in whatever the ways and so it is really simple and yet it's so radical like stopping and going how do i feel without judgment oh i'm pissed okay What's that about? And what can I 
understand about that. It's like, oh my gosh, what a concept asking yourself how you feel and understanding yourself a little bit more. Wouldn't that save a lot of energy then looking for that from outside? It's so basic, but it's like, these are the conversations that they just go in our blind spot. You know, we just don't remember. So I love that. And then what have you heard from people who read it, who had the experience you wanted, that you intended? What are people walking away with that you're hoping continues? Like that was your intention. What are you hoping people will walk away with after they read the book? Gosh, just what I am hearing, which always is delighting me because, you know, it's only been out for two weeks now. So at first you go like, what are they saying? But the people who are reading it who are saying, I can't put it down. I'm laughing. I'm crying. I don't feel crazy. I feel seen. This is okay. These are some things that I can do. I've been suffering in silence. I have been beating myself up. I have been taking all the blame. I'm exhausted. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm letting myself off the hook. You know, I'm letting myself off the hook and to being where I am and saying, I can do this, right? Because we're all going to go through these periods. We're human. We're mortal. We're going to lose people. We're going to lose our sense of selves. We're going to make mistakes. We're headed in the same direction. We too are going to pass. Other people are going to be sad when we leave. And the more we're able to be less grief phobic, messy emotions averse, a little bit more literate around the tough stuff, the easier it is. But I also think it's not just that. It's that what matters becomes more clear. Yeah. And so we end up pruning areas of our life that we've outgrown and simplifying in ways that actually create a lot more internal success. And that's what I'm more interested in. I love that so much. And it's interesting. I was talking to my daughter the other day, because she's seven, she just got her ears pierced. And we have two older daughters. So we have a seven-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, all girls. And we went to get my youngest. She was ready. She's like, I'm ready to do it. And my older two are like, it's not going to hurt. Just don't worry about it. It's going to be great. And I was like, no, it is going to hurt. And you're going to be okay. And they kept saying, well, why are you telling you it's going to hurt? I said, because it is, but it's not going to be like something she can't handle but it's going to hurt and then it's going to be okay. And so she said to me, she goes, that was really good you told me that because Eliza was trying to tell me it wasn't going to hurt. And I said, yeah, there are things in life that hurt. And I want to give that credit to my mom because my mom, you know, there's a whole mixed bag of things. My mom's bipolar and there's so much beauty that comes with that. I mean, so much. Uh, I wish I could write a book on that, like how much beauty comes with whatever people have, if they have the ability to live in extremes, there's something really magical, at least in my experience. But then there was also a really dark side to it too. And at the same time, she taught me that. She taught me, no, it's not going to not hurt. Sometimes it will, and you can be with it. And Mm -hmm. no matter what we went through, which was pretty intense, that ability to sit in it, it's like everything almost, because life is always going to be everything. And so I love that people read this book and go, I laughed and I cried. And it brought me back to that feeling. I think that we were talking about before this feeling of, of equanimity, this feeling of things are welcome to the table. Gosh, doesn't that feel good? You don't have to have it all together with everything all the time. (laughs) And that that is being together. Like that's what you're saying. Like, no, that is it. 
You don't yeah. have to either. Yes. And living in the gray. So there, are, there's all these things that you have for people to spend time with you, right? There's like a inner circle. There's a membership. There's a course. Is there one of those things that you want to let people know about that feels exciting now? You know, I think the book really, because this is the big heart work. This is what I've been working on for the last three years. And to your point, you know, I do have an online membership and I teach health and wellness, but I think that if you're interested in this conversation, but maybe a part of you is a little scared that this is a good way to dip your toe in. And yeah, the book is a doorway and you can take it in steps. You can touch in and touch out, but um, I think if there's heart medicine in it, it certainly has given me an enormous amount of heart medicine. And that is something I want to pass on. I have two questions that are not related to each other. That was yeah. we're talking. One is, <laughs> is there a part of you that thinks about creative expression from an acting point of view at this point in your life, even like at all? Like, where does that live? Is there a part of you that goes, oh, I want to do community theater or I wish I could direct a movie? Or does that part of you kind of feel like that's a whole different chapter that's been closed? Oh, it's a whole different chapter, partly because I'm quite introverted. And if I didn't get bitten by the bug early in life, which is the bug of entertaining and performing and lifting people up, if I didn't get bitten by that bug, I wouldn't have the courage to be on this call with you. So, you know, like all the auditions, all the classes, all the shows, all the things that we do, all the rejection, like if I That's, didn't have that, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be here. Yeah. But I have no desire to go back to that world. I just am grateful that I got some tools to help me survive this one. <laughs> and you're so filled with grace. I can see why you were led to that because the world probably signaled to you like you're really fun to be with and it's fun to appreciate you and your energy and you're so beautiful. So, but that can be confusing when the world's like, go over here. And you're like, this doesn't feel good to my nervous system. (laughs) Um, And then my other question, which is not related to that, which is just a conversation I had with my husband last night. How bad are these EMFs for us? Like with our phone and like, we had a meeting yesterday at my kid's school about technology and it was supposed to be about like the healthy use of technology for kids not to like text mean things and how to be appropriate yeah. and all that. And then in the last 20 minutes, the one was like, and here's some data about EMFs. And I was like, get rid of the phones. I was like freaking out when I got home, but I think rightfully so. You know, I, I, I think there's an appropriate amount of freaking out from what I saw. And I'm just curious because you've probably spent a few more minutes looking into that than me. I'm just so curious what your take on that is. My take on that is wherever you put your fear, your fear will grow. And and so we live in a world where I think, especially in the wellness world, where we have this need for, or this desire for extreme purification. And what I have found when there was times when I was very deep in that world and experimenting in ways that were unhealthy for me. Like I, I had a port put into my heart to receive high doses of vitamin C and ozone and hydrogen peroxide. And I was doing all these experimental treatments at the height of wanting to cure myself and make it go away. And I remember going to Dana Farber, which is in Boston and my doctor teaches at Harvard and I'm going in for a checkup and he's like, why the hell do you have a port in your chest? What have you done now? And I said, I was trying to cure myself. And he said, okay, if you want to do things 
I need you to run them by me. And I said, can you to get it out because I'm not going to continue those treatments. So I just need to be, we're going to be on the same team. We have to be on the same team. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is every day there's going to be a new study that's going to make you feel relief. And then the next day there's going to be another study that makes you want to shut down and live in a bunker. And as somebody who has like been in the world of wellness for as long as I have, we are called to look for how do we stay in society, in life, without going to either of the extremes. Yeah, that's very helpful to hear, especially coming from you, because it is crazy making and we don't know how to make sense of it. And and there's also something good about trying to eat organic food and not buying everything in a box. But at the same time, it's like, it's a lot to go to that place of being totally purification or however you said it, because there's so much coming at us. And like, train has left the station and it's going really fast. And so it's very hard to make sense of it all. And that's a beautiful gift that you just gave everyone to calm us down a little bit. And so what's the intention? I I think just to to talk about that a little bit more, we create create your own family practice. You know, it's good to be away from our phones. It is so healthy for our brains. I don't know if you have this feeling, but you know, there's times where I'm really connected to the phone and I'm, I'm like tapping that addiction. If I go to pick up a book, I'm like trying to swipe and I get really bored because there aren't ads in another place totally. to go. I'm like, the book doesn't work that way. And it just shows me that I have like lost sense of reality. And so what is the practice you create for your family? What are your own bumpers that each and every one of us can make that aren't driven by fear? I love that. Is there one thing that you do think is somewhat doable, one little thing that people could start doing today to bring a little bit more health and wellness into their life, one little step. Okay, I'm going to give you the most basic one because I could say, have a smoothie, have more fiber, stay hydrated, like all of the things that we know that are so practical in lifestyle medicine, being more mindful. Can I give you two things? Yeah, give me two things. I will take them on. (laughs) (laughs) The first is to lower the bar. So sometimes we put the bar so high on ourselves, especially if we're trying to, I don't know, keep up with others or whatever it is. We put the bar so high. And then when the bar is so high, we lose our motivation because it's like, I can't do that. So what's the point? So lowering the bar so that you can start to ease in and be good to yourself, because that's how we create momentum. We're, We're looking for consistency. We're looking for momentum. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for more often than not, am I caring for myself? So lower the bar so that you can show up to that. And the second thing is you you said to me, well, but you can only say one thing, one thing that's going to help humanity feel better. Then I would say, after this interview, go in the mirror, look at yourself and say, I love you. Start there. I don't know if there's anything better that you can do. All the kale in the world won't change your physiology like that moment. That is the definition of a mic drop. Oh, it's so incredibly powerful. Amazing. I'm very touched by your generosity with that perspective and everything that you've shared. Obviously, we're going to put the link to the book in the show notes, but um, why don't you just also verbally tell everybody where they can get the book and 
Is there a special um, like indie bookstore that you like or do you want people to go to a particular place to get it? Just let us know where we can find it. Yeah. I mean, anywhere books are sold, you can find the book. You can go to chriscar.com and find the book. Wherever you prefer to go is a good place to go. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I so thank you for just all that you've done moment by moment that you have all this to bring to the table, all that courage, all that fortitude, all that grace, all the willingness to cry and feel and laugh and write and set it all into this book and everything else. It's really, it's a giant gift and the ripple effects are so big and you know that, I think you know that. And it's awesome to be the kind of person who's just giving so much of that to other people. What an awesome way to make lemonade. It's just like, it's a really pretty cool. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Honestly, I've been a fan of yours for so long and it's true. And I just love what you do and what you share. And so I was excited for us to do this and then go into our friendship together. Yes, I'm, I'm here. I am a boxer away and I, I look forward to it. Thank Me you. Too. Wow, that was just so powerful. Chris is a walking miracle. Here are the takeaways. Number one, health isn't the absence of disease. It's the presence of vitality. Number two, live in the magnificent gray. You can be successful and unsuccessful, have stage four cancer and be healthy. You can be a life-loving human and still struggle. All those things are true. Make space at your table for it. That's the practice. Number three, we all have this opportunity to wake up and go back to sleep. Both of those things will happen and that's normal. So don't judge when you go back to sleep. Don't think you're a failure. Just be curious about the human condition that you live in every single day. That spark can keep you on the path. Number four, you can honor yourself by saying, how am I feeling today? What are those feelings? Instead of judging those emotions, welcome them. Our emotions are there to teach us. Number five, let yourself off the hook and say, I can do this. The more we're able to be less grief phobic, less averse to messy emotions and more literate around the tough stuff, the easier it is. Lower the bar so that you can ease it, be good to yourself. We're for consistency and momentum, not perfection. Number seven, go to the mirror, look at yourself and say, I love you. Start there. It's the best thing you can do. All the kale in the world will change your physiology like that moment. Thank you for listening. I know that you have zillion things that you could be doing. Thank you for being here. It means so much to me. We have so many good episodes. Truly, every episode that we're recording is really something that I think will enhance your day, will give you some kind of inspiration or some kind of clarity. So please follow along on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening. And if you want to support us, leave us a review. It helps more than you could possibly know. And share the show. Share the show with someone. You could email them the link. You could text them the link. You could post about it on your Instagram. You could just tell someone, hey, have you heard this podcast? I think you might really like it. All of that helps us so very much and we appreciate it. Before we go, I want you to remember that you can join my membership. It's called The Quilt. We meet once a week. We do some coaching. We also do some collaborating in there. It's really a true sisterhood. If you want to join us, you can go to kathyhoward.com slash quilt. I'd love to see you in there. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I will talk to you very soon. Bye.